The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Um, well, my mom is the special guest today. And I must start the episode by telling you it is now um, approximately 9.51 on a Friday um, Pacific, uh, Pacific Standard Time. And that took my mom and I a full hour to try to um, get this recording going. Um, I usually record on a certain platform. We couldn't get that to work. Um, but it was, it was pretty funny. Mom, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Um, everyone that listens knows that I, she's being quiet. Everyone that listens knows that I like to, um, portray you with a, with a, um, kind of like a Midwestern accent. I don't, you don't really talk like that. Do you mom? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so um, I'm very excited. This hour of prepping was worth it. Do you think this was worth it so far? Oh, absolutely. No doubt. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, we are, we are just going to get right into it. So I, I felt like I, I've wanted to record with my mom for a good solid maybe since the beginning and my mom and I have gone through like some ups and downs in the past couple years um but we have my mom and I have always been super close and um 
And I think like in every relationship, like you go through ebbs and flows in relationships and mothers and daughters especially have some interesting relationships, but I will tell you that I love you, mom, and um, you're the best. And um, I know I'm your favorite. So (laughs) I know Michelle and Patrick will not be listening to this. So I would like for my audience to know for you to admit that I'm your favorite. (laughs) No comment. Okay. Okay. Well, (laughs) we all know it's true. For sure. Yes. You're my favorite. We all know it's true. So mom, (laughs) I'm going to start like, like every episode. Um, I like to interview people and, and I know that you've listened to every single one of my 70 episodes I've done. I'm on episode 71 right now. Um, and you have known me since the very, very beginning of my, of my great life. And, um, I just wanted to kind of turn the tables and talk to you about your own life and, um, and start with your childhood. So can you tell me a little bit about where Pat judge or Pat originally Shippa was born and a little bit about your childhood? Well, I was born in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and I lived in Manhattan for the first four years of my life. And then we moved up to northern Westchester to Chappaqua. And it was a beautiful, sleepy little town. My dad would walk to the train station to go to work. We didn't lock our doors. We played outside until my mom rang the dinner bell. It was a very, very innocent, carefree kind of childhood. Um, it was it was a good time to grow up. Uh, an age of innocence, I don't know how you describe it, but I feel blessed to have grown up when I did in the family I grew up in. And and you're one of six kids. Six. Six yeah. of us. Yeah. And and uh, and thankfully five of you are still on the planet. Um, five of us living, yeah. And and growing up in that family, like uh pop-up was um Italian and grandma Irish, right? And correct. And and in the Skipa side, we really growing up like we had we really like dealt with both sides, right? Was that like that for you growing up, where you could like dealt with like the roots of the Italian side and the Irish side? Yes, um, for sure. Probably a little more uh, with my Italian side, just because my. Irish grandfather passed away when I was uh, really young. And uh, I do remember my Irish grandmother. I remember she lived in Manhattan and I remember my mom and I going into the city and we would do some shopping and then go have tea and goodies. With what was, um, what was it like? Um, like, I know that Pop-Pop was a really hard worker and he put himself through Fordham Law School and became a successful attorney. Tell me a little bit about that. And also, I think my audience should know that my mom's nickname growing up was Pat the Brat. Yes, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> she was the apple of her, of her dad's eye because she was the oldest of the three girls, right? I was a third child, first girl. 
and I look like and I look like my father. So yes, I was somewhat spoiled. spoiled. Do you think you were um, spoiled? Somewhat, yes. Yeah, but it is it is um fascinating to me because I lost my grandfather when I was probably like nine or ten or I don't even remember. No, grandma judge passed away when I was 10. So pop-up must have died when I was around 11 or 12. I don't even know. It was before daddy got sick, but, um, I, I, he was a great. No, no, your, your, your Italian grandfather. No, I'm talking about Papa, my Papa, not yours. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. 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 So he, but he was a great, he was really into fitness. He was just very like vain, right? Like, but like vain meaning like cared about his appearance and then oh yeah very much so and hence why all all of the shippa children yeah he was very much into physical fitness and uh clothes and looking right and good manners and uh perfect grammar um he he was uh very sweet and emotional in a really nice way but he also was a very tough taskmaster. He expected us to, to uh, be o- obedient and, uh, uh, you know, do, do our schoolwork and get, he expected us to get really good grades. And, but he was a very loving father. He, I can't complain. You had, you had a happy childhood overall. I, I, cause I don't, I know that this is, only an hour. And honestly, I could talk about my, I I have great love for my grandparents that are gone, but but on both sides, even though I never met my grandfather judge, which was my dad's dad, just all the stories and everything. Um, and just when they were alive, I have such happy memories of all of them, but I'm talking about my grandmother judge, but what I wanted to kind of go to is, um, you know, this podcast is about helping people and, and talking through trauma and talking through experiences that every one of us at some point in our lives is going to go through something hard. And when you were a young girl, you were, you know, you had a very happy childhood, grew up with all of the needs that you really needed and had a lot of love in your house, but you were grabbed off of a bike when you were in second grade, correct? Yes, I was. And back then, therapy was not something that people did, correct? No, it was, uh, I, I, I mean, maybe there were people that went to uh, therapy, but I never knew of, of therapy or anyone who went for help that way. What was that like, Mom? I mean, I know there was, well, what was bad about it is that um, it was so traumatic that it it's affected my entire, it's affected me my entire life. Um, and um, it was, I think, I think my parents thought the thing to do was brush it under the carpet and pretend it, it didn't happen. And, you know, I would forget about it and and, um, but I, I never did. I well, Pat, like just to backpedal a little bit, tell my audience about, I know that it's hard to think about, but just tell my audience kind of what happened to you because I kind of, well, I was, uh, riding through the woods that 
connected my little neighborhood to to the downtown, little tiny downtown Chappaqua, New York. And um, my brothers and I rode our bikes through there all the time. And uh, but I was alone this day. It was after after school, and my mom said I could ride my bike into town and get a you know buy an ice cream bar from the Good Humor Man. So. Um, yeah, this guy grabbed me off my bike and uh, pulled me down to the ground and he got on top of me and he started to strangle me. And I I thought I was going to die. I remember thinking I have to say an act of contrition because I'm going to die. But then something, some, some mechanism, something in me said, no, you, you don't want to die. You're just a little kid. And I screamed and it startled him. He jumped back and I jumped up and took off on foot. Uh, Fortunately, I was near the edge of the woods and I took off on foot and ran all the way into town and told the policeman what happened. And the policeman took me back to where it happened, put my bike in his trunk, took me back home and... um, my mom, uh, I remember she took me upstairs and um, I don't remember after that. I just remember I couldn't go to sleep at night unless my mom was in the bedroom, which must have been difficult for her because she had six children and there were always, there was always a baby. And, uh, but it was just too scary for me. And, but they never talked about it. Maybe they talked about it um, to each other. But never to me, I don't even know. I'm sure my brothers and and sisters knew about it, but I don't even remember talking to any of them about it until I was well into adulthood, had children of my own. And I remember my sister Mary was teasing me because I was nervous walking on the sea in Okinawa in Washington. Uh, because I don't know, some strange looking person had walked by and I picked up a stick and Mary and my sister, Mary said, Pat, she said, what, what in the world, what are you afraid of? Come on, we're together. We, I think we had at least one dog with us. And, um, and yeah, I just, it was, it's just something that's always haunted me. And well, I think that not to talk over you, but it, um, it's first of all, it makes me want to cry. I always cry <laughs> because <laughs> that's the age of my, of Ella. And, and knowing that like a little child was grabbed like that. And then it affected the rest of your life. And to be honest, it affected our lives too, because it did. It did. Cause I was nervous. Nelly, you were very nervous. Um, very nervous although you would openly open the garage in, in our, when we lived on weather with Peggy gives me grief about that. Peggy, you would open the garage and be like, okay, bye everyone. And like shut the garage. And we would just be like playing. This was back when it was safe. We also grew up in Potomac, Maryland, which was a very safe area. And um, it was a great area to grow up. And we locked our doors up at night. But oh, yeah. I would say, like, we you would open the garage and we would just be playing, like, kick the can and, like, all these different games on the court. And then at nighttime, you would open the garage for us to go back in. But, 
But other than that, you were super paranoid. Like anytime we went to the grocery store or the shop or the mall, um, we always had to park super close. And what it, re- what it really reminds me of and makes me so sad is that the traumas that I talk about in your childhood, like my own, and to be honest with you, mom, I think that you also probably have complex PTSD stemming from childhood. That's never not to diagnose you, but that's exactly what it sounds like because you do have PTSD and this, and you've never it's never been treated and it's kind of like gone with your whole life. And that's why I talk about this all the time. For me personally, therapy saved my life. Like, I don't know if I would be here today, if it wasn't for therapy and it wasn't for acknowledging like what happened in my own childhood and the trauma of losing, which we're going to talk about next my sister in front of me, but it breaks my heart. And it honestly, like, makes me like, wish I was with you to give you a hug because I think it's so sad that, that people back then didn't have the resources and it wasn't normalized to talk about problems and things that happen. And now with like my biggest mission is normalizing, talking about things that happened to us all and how scary that was and how scared, terrifying that must've been for your parents too. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure it was. I'm I'm sure it was. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't have known about that. I just remember my mom, you know, hugging me and comforting me. And then I was upstairs and, and then it was never discussed again. Yeah. Which is just, that's how things were. And that's why I think also people of your generation, I'm finding more and more people are going, well, it's okay to talk about this stuff. It wasn't for a long time, but now it is. And now is the time to like acknowledge things that happen. So you can kind of move past them because you've kind of been a prisoner for your entire life to an incident that happened to you when you were just eight years old. So being a prisoner to an event you know what I'm saying? That's very much. I yeah. mean, in college, I would have to check my closet and under the bed and I had roommates. Yeah. It's just something I did every night before I got to bed. To go well, to. and then, and then I say this a lot. So, um, so not to jump ahead, but I do want to talk about several topics on this episode. Um, one of which being my dad and you know, you grew, you grew up, you kind of were paranoid dealing with all that stuff untreated for what happened to you, which that was the norm back then. But I do want to talk about number one. Um, my mom is still like one of the most physically beautiful people you've ever seen. Like, and as a kid, um, I remember we would go to the grocery store or we would go anywhere and people would be like, oh my gosh, your mom is so beautiful. And um, I want to talk about my dad because on this, uh, on this podcast, I kind of, I, and I do get emotional a lot, but I, I love hearing stories about him. I love to tell stories. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about how you met dad. Oh. Well, I was in college. He was in dental school. Um, 
I saw him at a party in September and I was with one of his dental school classmates and I saw him across the room. It was a big medical dental school party and I saw him across the room and I thought, wow, that guy's really cute. Anyway, I never, that was in September and I never went out with him until February. Um, he, he says that he noticed me at that party too, but we never were introduced or anything. And he had so many girls around him. I thought, oh, you know, he's, he's, he would never like me. And then uh, in February, I guess I was with friends and we were at a, at a restaurant and we were, we were sitting at a table and dental school guys and uh, several of my, my college classmates. And uh, your dad came in with um, one of his friends and he sat at the table and he proceeded to be John Judge, you know, center stage, telling stories, making everybody laugh. And as he, as he spoke, he looked at everyone like you would do when you're talking and you look at everyone who's in the conversation. But for some reason, as he looked around the table, he would skip me. And I noticed that he did not meet my eyes. And that really bothered me. And I thought, hmm, okay, somehow I'm going to get a date with this guy. <laughs> and then I plotted with one of my friends who was dating one of his friends from dental school and long story short, we got uh, we got figured out a way that we could um, meet up, and um, and so I went out with him and my my one of my best friends and and whom I'll see at the reunion next week, uh, and her her boyfriend whom she subsequently married, and uh, and then we had fun. We just went to a bar that's no longer in D.C. And then he, uh, your dad asked me to go out the next day. He asked me if, well, first of all, when we got in the bar, he said, um, well, now you're not hungry, are you? What kind of beer do you drink? And I thought that was pretty funny because, yeah, I was hungry. It was lunchtime. <laughs> I don't drink beer. Never have, never will. <laughs> but I said, oh, uh, no, I'm not hungry. Um, I'll have a Budweiser. And anyway, he asked me out the next day to go to the zoo. So we went to the zoo. And that's how we started dating. And uh, the rest is history. We got engaged the following October and then got married a month practically to the day after I graduated from college and um, had 22 very, you know, very, very happy years. Had five of you guys, uh, best years of my life with your dad. He, he, he was, was funny. Your he dad was, was, pardon me? He was funny. Like He was very funny. He was very, very funny. And he was very, very good. He was, uh, he was very moral and ethical. Um, I've never known anybody like him. Maybe my dad, mom, but yeah, he was a really, 
fine person. He had a strong character. And he set a, a really good example for you, you kids. Um, and he was funny. Everybody liked him. He, he just made friends very easily. I mean, he was, he was like always the clown. And honestly, like, I'm surprised I got so upset, but I think that, um, I think that there's like a part of me that sometimes has flashbacks of him and it's hard to like talk about, but, um, we had a very happy childhood, um, aside from, we kind of didn't talk about this, but you've been through a lot, you know, just meeting dad and how he was just the best. I mean, he really was the best dad and he was funny um, and kind and always did the right thing. I think of Julie the same way. Julie was like dad um, who I've talked about for my listeners. I'm forgetting I'm even recording. Um, Julie was my best friend that I lost. So I kind of talked about that, but um, you're, you were happily married and like my memories of childhood were how happy my parents were, um, and how funny my dad was. And just, there were really happy times in our house while he was here. But once you got married, except for, except for when you lost your sister, when I, yeah. So we're going to kind of talk about that. That was a, that was a dark time. So, so there was lots of happiness, had Peggy, had Michelle, my two older sisters, then a lapse of time. Cause you went through several mar- miscarriages and then welcome to the world, the joyous apple <laughs> of your eye, Megan. <laughs> Who, who thankfully got the best name out of all of the girls in the family. Um, but sorry, Peggy and Michelle, but um, after you having me, you got pregnant because that's what Irish Catholic people do. They just have babies. So um, you got pregnant with Maura pretty quickly. Right. And then, yes. and then um, you were almost Irish twins. Almost shy of a month, right? No, two months. She, 14 months difference. Okay. That's basically Irish twins. So tell me, tell me what happened with Maura. And I have talked about it with my audience, but just your own experience. Well, she was, she was a, a, a beautiful, um, this, this is where I get very emotional. So I'll try okay. to. That's okay. She's a, a beautiful joy. joy. You know, only had her for a little over nine months on this earth. Um, she was, she had a congenital liver disease. We found out about it when she was, I think, five or six weeks old. And I took her in for a, a routine checkup and she was jaundiced and the pediatrician obviously was concerned. And he said, um, I'm going to refer you down to Children's Hospital. And we went down there to the old Children's Hospital on 13th Street, long time ago, and um, saw the head of neonatology, who was a super nice, very, very nice doctor. And she uh, broke the examined Mora and broke the news to us that she had 
biliary atresia. And okay, fine. What, you know, what do we do? How, how do we make her better? And unfortunately there, there was no cure for that um, birth defect then. These days, uh, those babies get liver transplants. But, but what was that? Do you remember learning like? Yes, biliary atresia is the. No, no, no. I mean, do you remember learning like she won't make it past a certain age? Well, no, I never accepted that. You never did. Okay. I never accepted it. I just like I didn't accept that that your dad was going to die. I just. Well, like, let's talk about that though, too, because you were very, I talk a lot about spirituality and we'll kind of talk about that again at the end. And do you think that the power of just like going, I mean, I know you and dad both went to daily mass were very Catholic. Um, Do you think that that was part of like your thoughts that you were just going to pray and and your faith would get you? Um, I, I just think, yeah, I think a faith, um, just like your dad, his faith was so strong. He thought when he got leukemia, well, he was going to beat it and he would set an example for people who get cancer and that you don't give up, you know. And so when he relapsed, he, he was shocked. He couldn't believe it and he couldn't understand God, you know, well, why, you mean I'm not going to live? It was that kind of thing where he, but of course he accepted it and, you know, how, what happened. Um, so I think with, with Maura and your dad, I just had faith that they, we'd beat this. And they did a surgery on Maura that was a, an experimental procedure that they were doing on these babies at the time. And it was basically something, it was like a stopgap kind of thing to get her over the period of time, whether it be months, years, whatever, until they could do a liver transplant. And because with biliary atresia, you're missing the the bile ducts from the small intestine uh, to the liver. And so it, uh, it, she, would have needed a, a liver transplant. Um, she but, had that, should she have that surgery the night, the day, like right before her passing? No, no. She had the surgery right at like a few days after uh, I went, took her to children's hospital with your dad and uh-huh. found out what was wrong with her. So I would say within the week, she had that because it was called the Kasai operation. Um, and, uh, I won't go into all the details of that, but the the surgery was successful and, and, uh, there were, there were procedures that, that we had to do for her, uh, several times a day. Um, and, um, but she was doing very well, but unfortunately her, uh, immune system was not normal. And she ended up uh, when she would periodically have to go back to children's for checkups and they'd keep her overnight and do all these tests. And I think uh, she probably caught a virus that did her in when she was at that the hospital that last time because she came home not 
feeling well and uh, and she was gone by the next morning. And I even had our family friend, the a pediatrician who was a close friend, uh, come to look at her. And, um, you know, it, there was nothing that was that would have made you think that this child was, you know, going to pass. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was just so when the next day, when when I you were feeding me in my high chair and like dad had gone to work or dad had Michelle. He was he was with your sisters at mass. He went to church. OK. And I had uh, all night. I was up and down with Maura because the, the pediatrician said, you know, it, it's like a, a stomach flu kind of thing. Keep trying to give her fluids, you know, try to give her formula, try to give her uh, diluted apple juice, whatever he wanted me to give her, Pedialyte, or I don't even know if that was in existence then, but whatever he had recommended. And she was, she was vomiting during the night several times. Um, I was up with her a lot, um, but she was asleep. In, in the morning, you know, early before you got up, um, I, I checked on her and she was sleeping. And then I brought you downstairs uh, and gave you breakfast. You were in the high chair. And Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft. Made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. I don't know. Something just told me to run upstairs and check, check on Maura again. And I ran upstairs and, um, and, and she was gone. And then that was complete her. trauma for you. And yeah, mm-hmm. but that's, that's was so traumatic for you because you're sitting in the high chair at the back of the kitchen where you can see me 
tearing down the steps from the with your sister in my arms, screaming my head off. I lost my mind. I opened the front door and screamed, hell, no, whatever. One of the neighbors and people in the, in the court knew what was going on with Maura. And somebody called EMS and uh, seemed like they got there really quickly. And um, they worked on her and uh, took her to the hospital. And I don't even remember if I was in the ambulance with her or I went separately. I don't know. They, I think they gave me something because they I must have. Yeah. Dad, dad, I or don't remember. Yeah. I remember being home that night, I guess. And I guess it was daytime because that all happened early in the morning. And I remember being in, in my bed upstairs, but very, very groggy. And, uh, and that, that's really all I remember. I don't remember being at the hospital. I don't remember. Well, because we were in shock, like any shock. And I think they gave me some kind of a sedative because I really was uh, not, not calm to say the least. Yeah. Well, in our family, we're not calm in general. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, that's, I feel, I feel bad that you feel any guilt over me seeing that trauma because it, it wasn't your fault. It's just. Well, it wasn't my fault, but yeah. it's just, even if you had, I've thought, gee, even if the kitchen had been in a different place in the house if you hadn't seen me and if I just could have stayed a little more calm so that I wouldn't have frightened you so well I just it it, first of all it's it it, none of this is your fault this is something that it's there's things that happen in all of our lives like you know being attacked when you were a kid like it, it just so happens that the first three years of a of a human being's development brain development, if there's any kind of trauma, it, it really stays with the person and through therapy and different like EMDR, different ways. Now that we are lucky enough to have, there's ways to kind of get past those memories and, and move past them. But the amount of trauma for a mother, especially because I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but when Ella was four months, um, she had a seizure. Yeah, I do remember. And I remember in my head flashing back to, oh my God, like this happened to my mom and it was terrifying. And I thought for sure I was like in the same place of like talking to God saying, I'll do anything. I'll do anything for you to save my baby. Like, please don't, you know, it was very, very scary. And then we were in the hospital for several days. So I think I can't even imagine what that was like, you know, just being a mother of a baby and like, you know, the way that you have a bond with a baby and a child, it just really breaks my heart. And it also breaks my heart that you have any guilt about that. Cause you absolutely should not. It's just one of those things that happened. Like if a young kid saw a car accident, which for the age of three or saw somebody die. Like all of this stuff is not anyone's fault. It's just part of life and something that happened. Yeah. Um, I but 
but moving on, um, and I'm sorry we're talking about like all of these things, but I think it's really important for people to hear your story. So maybe if they're going through loss, they it will help them. It'll also like put into place the whole reason why I'm as crazy as I am. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, um, I'm just kidding. So so after that loss, after that trauma. Um, you kind of had to pick yourself up, get like, we're thankfully with a very good husband had all of us. Um, once again, where did you go into therapy over this? No, no. See, I did not, uh, I, I, your father and I decided we really, really, really wanted to have another baby. Uh-huh. Another baby would take Maura's place, but we just didn't, it just, our family just didn't seem complete. Yeah. So we ended up having your brother. So that, that was, you know, that was a blessing. God answered. And that, that helped like and yeah. also my brother's the apple of everyone's eye in the family, especially my mom. Um, <laughs> no, oh, I thought you were wrong, whatever. <laughs> um, but I was going to say, so then like life went back as much as it could. You should have been in therapy, which, you know, but back then, same thing. You, that just wasn't something that people really did. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, um, I fit and then you went on to like have some happy, really happy years. Our family was we had lots of fun. I had issues from Maura's loss, which I've talked openly about, which was, um, you know, from that age on, I kind of went backwards, right. And started needed a diaper again and had to like be potty trained all over again. And, you know, always kind of had emotional issues from it and depression. But I think childhood was overall really happy with dad and all of our family together. And we went on trips and we were fortunate enough to grow up with money and have all the things that we needed. But, um, dad was diagnosed with leukemia, very healthy athlete, tall, handsome. Um, my parents were like the kind of people, like when they would walk into a party, like everyone would turn because they were so such a beautiful couple. Um, but to have dad get diagnosed, like, what was that like for you? It was awful. It was bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and he, he passed away like nine months, months, 10 months after his diagnosis, but he was a fighter for eight weeks. He was in remission for eight weeks. I remember that. And you guys went to Jamaica um, and then he came back and I remember walking up. We lived on a court, like I talked about, and we had this long driveway with like a stone wall on the side. And I remember coming home that day and when he had the leukemia had come back, Um, but it was hard, right? I mean, It it was very, very hard. Like, how did you, how did you go on? How did you go on? What did you do? Cause I've never, I think once, once, once he relapsed, 
I just was in kind of in shock going through the motions of life for the rest of the time until he passed. Yeah. I, I couldn't, uh, I, I just, I, I had so much trouble facing the reality of it. And um, so it was, it was just day to day. And once he realized, once he accepted that this is, that for whatever reason that this was God's plan, then he accepted it. And so I had to, I mean, I had to, because basically one day in the hospital, he asked my permission to die. Because he had suffered so much. Yeah. Well, he just said, you know, I've done everything. I've, I've, I've done everything that they could do, what they recommended. And he said, you know, I've tried my hardest and you just have to let me go. You have to give me permission to die because, you know, there, it's, there's nothing else we can do. So I had to give him permission. And it was very shortly after that. And was after he passed, what was that like? Because you were, you were really young. I mean, you were younger than I am right now. So early 40s. I just was, uh, I was in shock for, for a long time. I mean, I had. My family was great. My brother came from California and stayed for a week or so, you know, after everybody had left, uh, you know, when everyone came for the funeral. And uh, but then Pete came back and he stayed and helped me with financial figure and stuff out and all that. And and um, and then my best friend from college, she she came to uh, uh, be with me for probably she was probably there for about a, about a week. And, and that was great having her moral support and friendship. Um, and, and then in the fall, he passed July 9th. And then in November, a close friend had, had uh, talked me into going to, to London for a, for a trip. And I, I said, I, I don't really think I want to go away. I, you know, I wasn't going to do it. And she talked me into it. And I don't remember that trip. I have, I have photos, but I don't. Cause you were, you were in going to two shows later yeah. and um, uh, Phantom of the Opera in London. And I cried my way through both of them. Yeah. Phantom, it was so well, that's such an emotional show, and um, and Les Mis because I played that CD from that show every day to and from the hospital because I loved the music. Well, because also I had in the theater both those shows, and yeah, and well, also also not to talk over you, but I will. I used to sing I Dreamed a Dream to dad all the time. I used to sing on our balcony, on our outside, on the deck. And I would yeah. sing that song. And also that song, I Dreamed a Dream is a very emotional song because it's all about very emotional. Yeah, losing a father for me. So I, to this day, if I hear that song, I 
bawl my eyes out. But part of the reason I'm asking this is because, you know, part of life is loss and the grieving process, especially if it's like a child or a spouse, which you've had to go through both and move on and somehow pick yourself up. And, you know, you had four kids, you know, and two, one in college, thankfully dad left us with financial means, but I wonder, I do have memories of like coming downstairs when this, the, in the beginning stages and people also need to know that when somebody passes away of like something like cancer or any kind of loss, a lot of times people are there in the beginning, right? It's like people are delivering meals and they're your friends and they want to see you and they want to talk to you, but it's the times when people move on with their own lives, that that's the hardest time for grief, correct? It really is. I, I, I always uh, remember how I didn't, well, your sister Peggy had, had already been away at college and, and your dad passed the summer before your sister Michelle went away to college. And so I didn't like serving dinner for you and Patrick and myself at the kitchen table or especially at the dining room table. And so I remember almost every night, you might recall, we ate in the family room off of TV trays because it was just too painful to sit at that kitchen table with only three of us. And um, I do remember that. That's interesting. I don't remember that. I just remember um, because we did as a family, that table was like ingrained in my mind. Yeah, it was. That's where we sat. We didn't usually all sit together for breakfast. Everybody was at school or, you know, work during the day. So we weren't there for lunch, but dinner, that's when we would all come together and we would laugh and, you know, uh, get balled out if something happened at school you weren't supposed to do or whatever. And uh, I don't know, grouse about it. We always ate as a family. We always always ate dinner as a family. Yeah. And spent time didn't hurry through. It was a time to talk and catch up. And maybe that's why my love of food happened. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, that's in the gene pool. That that's several generations. (laughs) Yeah. But it also obviously turned into an eating disorder and all the things that it ended up turning into was my way of probably processing the grief of dad. Um, But I just, I, I, I have memories of it, but it's when you block something out, it's hard to have such like happiness and then have it just kind of like all taken away. Yeah. It's, um, it's not, it's, it's not what you expect. It's, it's, it's shocking. It is. It's shocking when, when you suffer a loss of a loved one and, um, and you, I don't know, you, you're, you just, it, it's hard. It's yeah. Hard. So for the sake of time, 
I just want to go. <laughs> There's a whole lot of things that have happened in my mom's life, my own life. Um, but there's a lot of happy times too. Um, so I try to like look back and think about happy times. Mostly happy times. Mostly happy times. But not mostly. I mean, there were really hard times. Unfortunately, and I'm going to kind of skip over this part because we don't want to give him any credit or too much time. But after um, my dad's passing, um, you went into, or our dad, your husband, my dad, you um, were single. You were a single cougar on the scene um, in the Washington metropolitan area. You could have had anyone. Um, and we were at our country club and you kind of got, this is a whole thing, but you really did get somebody was like a predator towards you, love bombed you, right? Which I talk about a lot, like the trauma bond, all the things that I've talked about with Dr. Nay with men and how they target women. But um, you married my stepfather who turned out to be a horrible man. Um, and that was a hard, very difficult t- teenage years for me. It was not easy for you. It was not easy for my brother or my sisters, but, um, I would like to kind of like move past that part. Cause that, that was just a time that happened, you know, and I would like to think that your time didn't count with him and the time that counts is with dad. That's fine. That's, that's <laughs> I, and I mean, I was with him for a while, so I tried it because there were things that during the time I was married to him, things I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget the time I lived in South Carolina and had wonderful friendships and yeah. A lot of fun with golf and tennis and living in a, in a beautiful area. Well, Kiowa Island's gorgeous, but that's, yeah. that doesn't necessarily happen. So I just say, I try to block out the- Yeah, pretend like he didn't- he Unpleasant didn't. and yeah. Yeah, but the reason I want to point that out is just kind of say, there's a, a big piece of this story that I've kind of touched on. He was not a good man. He ha- was a- was an alcoholic and emotionally abusive to me um and not verbally verbally and emotionally abusive to all of us to all of us and physically to my brother at one point so we will we will skip ahead of that because I would like to go into kind of a happy ending like because that's I'll have hopefully have this recording forever and um I I just, you know, I think it's important that um, I acknowledge, like, my love for you. It's just important in life that we know that not everything is perfect and relationships aren't perfect. And um, I think just knowing that relationships are perfectly imperfect, right? Absolutely. Because we're human. Yeah. We're all human. So at the end of this, because I've literally been ugly crying pretty much the whole episode. (laughs) 
And I cry a lot of times on these episodes. I am the most emotional. I'm actually really proud of you, mom. You didn't cry that much this episode. I've been I like, try, I tried not to, but, it, but, but it's, I've hard. been ugly crying literally the entire episode. What, what I want to say is um, in closing, I always talk about signs and spirituality and in my own life, um, I've kind of strayed from the church and, you know, um, different things, but I feel like the foundation of my spirituality has always gotten me through really hard things. Um, in my own personal life, like I'm a Catholic, I talk about it. I would say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, what I'm a modern day Catholic, but I still go to church and I love my, my, the head of my church, um, the Monsignor at my church is a very special man. And he helped me in my darkest times, which mom, you know, I was in obviously a very bad place for a couple of years ago. Um, and, um, I think that spirituality is so important, no matter what it is for different people. Like some people don't believe in God, but they believe in Buddha or whatever it is. But for you, my, I know that my sign is the butterfly. I talk about it all the time. What is your sign that you know that Mora or dad or pop up or whoever is with you, Bucky, uncle Bucky. You know, Megan, I, I, that's a good question. I, I don't, I don't think uh, that I have a specific sign. I do. Really? No, I don't think I have a sign. I just, I have um, just periods where, where I, I think about um, the person like my brother Bucky and I'll think of Bucky and uh, something in his lifetime to, that I enjoy reflecting on. Do you ever though, like, feel like they're with you or? Uh, I, I, I wish, I wish that I did. I, uh-huh. I, I crave that, but I don't, I don't really feel like they're with me. I did have a real comfortable feeling when we, now this sounds awful comfortable when we buried your aunt, but when we, where your aunt, is is interred is right next to where your dad is and your little sister and your grandparents judge and I, there was just something comforting there i had a i had a uh just a a feeling like everybody's good everybody's in god's hands and you know hopefully i'll i'll be yeah, i'll be with them at some point but by the way, stop by the, I, sh- I want to end this like, so it's not so sad the whole episode, but, um, and I didn't do any of my imitations of my mom at Starbucks. You didn't. You, and you never brought up Judy. I didn't bring up Judy, <laughs> but I will, I will talk about Judy and my mom very briefly, but I wanted to say, um, not everybody has signs and that's okay too. It's whatever it's, whatever it is. I think that you have a spiritual foundation and, um, and, you know, like knowing that God and is with you and praying and all of that stuff is something that you believe in. Um, for me, like I said, it's the butterfly, but on, on another note, um, I did I, something I'm very proud of 
is that I think that I'm like my dad with my humor. And I think that I, that's part of why I do what I do is like, I love to make people laugh and have like my entire life. And what did your dad used to say? Um, Be happy by making other people. Well, that's what mom, you're ruining the clothes of my, Oh, sorry. But I mean, he lived and now you are too. Well, I'm trying, but um, I would like to do um, a a little tribute to Judy. So um, (laughs) my mom who who doesn't, now you're hearing her real voice. So I I can't do her real voice, but I like to do it in this weird voice that I do, which is kind of like a Midwestern accent. And um, Pat has a friend named Judy and they like to go to the Sonoma Bar and Grill, right? So Napa. Oh, so Napa. So Napa. Napa. They know all of the bartenders. They know all the staff. And so Judy is still single, still ready to mingle. And um, Pat told Judy that she she can no longer sit at the bar because somebody's dance card may be full. And Judy is looking for some dates. So now they sit at a table. I had to hear this entire story. And then while we were on vacation in Charleston, which is like my favorite, one of my favorite places in the world. Um, when we have family there, we were all there for a wedding. My mom brought a box of kind cereal, which is her favorite cereal that she talked about the entire trip. And she read out the ingredients. She was like, Oh, pig, Peggy's my sister. Um, did you know that kind cereal has granola, cocoa butter, um, she read off like the entire ingredients. So for, for mother's day, I went on Amazon and I bought, I bought Pat, her favorite cereal, um, multiple boxes. Did you enjoy mother's day and the gift from your favorite child? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I've been enjoying my kind every morning. Since. <laughs> well, Mom, in closing, and Judy, because I'm sure Judy's going to listen to this. And also, um, we didn't even get into Chico's because my mom really enjoys Chico's. She loves to wear her Chico's in every occasion. Um, So that's a whole nother episode. But I hope that that my listeners know that I I this is very special to me and not every relationship. My mom and I had like I talked about in the beginning, we have fights we don't get along. We hang up on each other sometimes. Um, not we've had rough patches in our relationship. And I think that realizing that your parents are not here forever. And my mom likes to give away her stuff. She just in Charleston gave me a box of pictures of my own children. I was like, are you planning on going somewhere? And she's like, well, Megan, you never know, Meg. You never know how much longer we have. So I'm already working out everything. So I said, well, Pat, you're not allowed to go anywhere anytime soon. So Pat enjoys Pilates. She enjoys Chico's. She enjoys lunch, lunches with Judy. And she enjoys kind cereal. Those are her top things that she enjoys. Um, But like I said, in closing, my mom gave away my clothes. But thank you, mom. I love you. Um, I, know, too, I know I'm your favorite. Um, you cannot say that, but everyone knows in the family that I am. And in closing, be happy by making other people happy. Love you, Meg. Love you. 
our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.